0: I'm Marcus Brown, this is a Runner's Life podcast. This is the platform for richer conversations that explore the person behind the runner. I discuss the topics that influence us as runners locally, whilst concurrently connecting us to the wider global community. If you found value in the show, please subscribe and share with your community on social media and leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or the platform selected as it helps the podcast grow. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash a runner's life. Thank you for tuning in. Now let's head to the conversation. Hi, David. Welcome to a runner's life podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. Thanks, Marcus. Hi there. And thanks for having me on.
0: It's great to have you on. Can you just sort of tell us how you got started in running and what's your earliest running memory?
1: I don't need to go back that far. It was uh, 2014 and I'd been working from home a lot. I was finding, I, I was in my early 30s. I was finding that by working from home a lot, having young children, it was really easy that I just didn't get out of the house on those days. So I kind of uh i was inspired by my my friends we were on holiday and they were we were down in the south of france and they had brought their road bikes and they were disappearing off into the hills and and yeah i was nowhere near that kind of um pursuit you know that level of fitness to to be able to go and do that and join them um so yeah i got home from that holiday in the summer and just thought right i'm going to do something about this and and i'm going to use my lunch breaks more effectively to to go and clear my head and and um and run so just kind of laced up some old gym shoes and got going
0: i think that's what we all do we sort of get you know the old trainers the old football kit i guess and just go for it
1: (laughs) yeah Um, absolutely so you make any rookie mistakes uh, putting my gym shoes no i i i mean i we, we all know the value of having having uh proper footwear for the job but um do you know what it was I suppose things escalated from there because um after you know doing a, a mile and a half around the block and coming back and feeling like I needed to, to vomit um from that um I had already invested in a watch I'd I'd the, the the technology got me early on I'd thought oh I can I can measure my progress so I had a heart rate monitor from the start I want to see the curve that I'm going to go on So I was already, I was already, you know, a couple of hundred quid in. um, So I couldn't, I couldn't just stop after that first venture out the door. Um, And it built from there, Marcus, it kind of built from there. And I, um, and I kind of found the thrill in just being able to, to push the distance further and and create bigger and bigger loops from home.
0: So what was the kind of motivation to start? I I know you spoke about being away and then sort of seeing your peers being active and he came back and you sort of laced up but did you have like a race to go for or was it just like a personal thing?
1: So I think initially it's, it's purely fitness um, it was purely about where I was the fact that I had young children and I wanted to be in better shape than I than I was I'd spent my 20s playing five-a-side football but those you know that that was perhaps twice a week initially and then and then it kind of thinned out so it was once in a while and then other work and the kids would get in the way of that and um so I was just realizing I needed to do something I wasn't I didn't use a gym or anything like that.
0: But you found the joy in it I imagine because it's still quite hard to start out isn't it?
1: Yeah um as I say I was kind of locked in because I wanted you know initially I wanted to see what that that curve looked like but you know I hadn't really read anything about it I just I guess uh, it was the cycle that everyone else goes through. Just if, it makes you feel better, and um, you get back and you feel you feel more energized. and And I was, you know, I was finding I was really productive in the afternoon working. So um, I think it's the same as everyone. But I think it, it was that that growing thrill of just being able to go further and further, and and you know the the joy of being able to do that under your own steam.
0: It's really interesting to hear the start of your journey because it's kind of. Um opposite to how I started. I was a reluctant runner. I basically got into it through a bet from a friend to do a 10k. And I was swerving in for quite a while. And um, before I found a race, I didn't really enjoy the training as much uh, because I was just, you know, it's like when you first yeah. start training, you're running from lamppost to lamppost and it's just so hard. Um, and then I did the race and I just felt like such a sense of achievement. And then it kind of kicked on from there. Um, but That's, it seemed like you were kind of,
1: that's the same like for that. me. That's the same for okay. me, Marcus, because I think um I think as I found that I was growing in in that fitness, um, my friends were encouraging me and um kind of set course for, for running my first race. My first race was a half marathon. Um it was a fleet half marathon in March twenty fifteen. So it was it was within six months of first lacing up. Um that's a, yeah.
0: That's amazing to sort of jump into a half marathon. So um so soon into early your your running journey i mean how come you sort yeah, of went yeah, for that distance rather than like a short distance
1: to someone coming from the outside to me that was a challenge the challenge was the distance um and growing up and i grew up in fleet so i was well aware of that race and i i mean obviously there were there were the, the kind of the the big stage races i was aware of but i really hadn't paid much attention to the the part run movement and things like that and i really wasn't aware of the running community uh, as as i now understand it uh, and i'm sure we'll talk about that but um so it's really just my own little bubble just un, you know saying right that's what i want to want to that's what i want to aim for having kind of built up those distances and realized that i could i could sustain that uh, you know could start sustaining a reasonable pace over a longer distance
0: so when you cross the line for, the, for your first race, that first half marathon, how did you feel?
1: Amazing. I, I achieved what I wanted to. It basically, as soon as I'd entered the race, it was about time. And there's so much I could say about the joy of running just for the sake of running and what it does for, for my, um, my mental health. Or, I mean, I, you know, just my aptitude to kind of focus on work and, and to feel energized. Um, but ultimately, the pursuit of running, for me, from the moment I entered that race, was all about time.
0: So, when you completed your first half, um, was it more for time, or was it more to, uh, was it more for the experience?
1: I think it was about both. Um, there was so I was so ignorant of the whole setup of the race. I was running alongside my mate, you know, the one the one I'd been on holiday with. Um, so in terms of just finding our place in the pen, he was telling us where we should be based on what we were aiming for, but I trained for specific time and, um, and it was all about executing that race against that goal. And that's, that's been, and it's been like that ever since.
0: That's quite interesting to hear that sort of drive and that passion from quite early on. Do you think that was something that was always in you before, even looking back at say like the fibersides? part of your life
1: yeah I've always been competitive I grew up with three brothers so I don't think I had a choice um so so that was, whether that was playing football or cricket in the garden um uh or really anything any pursuit has always been competitive at a healthy level you know com, you know it, it 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 didn't need to be to be anything other than the pursuit of trying to 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 better yourself
0: so with your brothers, do you think you were trying to be your best or the best?
1: <laughs> oh, man, I wasn't expecting that. I, I've set myself up there. Um, uh, yeah, of course, there's a little bit of that. Um, uh, I'd hate to to dig into the psychology of being one of four boys. Um, but you I guess, do you know what, Marcus, I guess I was finding my niche. And this is something I wanted to pursue. and. Uh, it's very different from from what my brothers do for their own fitness.
0: I think there's definitely something in you, but like you said, it, like there's the family side as well, which is all these things sort of add together, don't they, to make a whole person. Um, now you're obviously a club runner as well. Um, can you sort of tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, so I, I was I was running on my own for a long time. Um, I kind of connected with the the concept of the, the Strava community and the the whole competitiveness of, of segments. I found that really entertaining early on. And it wasn't until I'd run my first marathon, which was April, 2016 uh, in Manchester. And it, so that was in the, in, so that was in the spring. And by the autumn, I joined Chalton Runners.
0: And what was your marathon time for your first uh, marathon?
1: Uh, my first marathon was two hours, 48.
0: That's and, impressive for the first one.
1: And I was, again, running alongside that same mate that, you know, inspired me from the holiday, inspired me growing up because we went to school together. Um, and he was always a fantastic runner uh, at school in cross country. I probably should have said that as well. You know, I I, I loved cross country at school, but just didn't carry it on after leaving uh, leaving secondary school. Um, so, to uh, yeah, to, so we, we set our goal. We, we were both going to run a sub three. And I just made sure i was i was in the kind of shape that that was nailed on to run a sub three first time um so that was absolutely thrilling um and it you know looking back uh for then what would what would happen after that race um it probably went too well it you know ev- everything planned worked the the fueling worked yes, it was a horror fest from miles twenty two twenty three 24 but you know and just had to dig deep but came through and and you know it was a it was a a positive split but still I came through um uh, you know got 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 under a great time yeah yeah Uh, I, I I appreciated that and I think from early on I appreciate hang on you know not everyone can do this off what you know a year or so of running um and I just found that consistency straight away and the diligence of all the things you need to be doing as your, as your body's developing, you know, the stretching and stuff to, to, to mitigate injury. So I was really invested in trying to do the right things. And, and really then that was the springboard for thinking, well, hang on, I've, I've crushed that first aim of sub three. What am I doing next?
0: And it seems like from what you're saying, even though you've had some great success from early on that running with other people, has been a massive benefit. You talked about running with your friends, uh, in, in the build-up and during the race and also the club running. Um, is that, what's that impact been like for you? Do you think you would have been a different runner without your teammates and those people pushing you?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, it's a really good question because I suppose there are two, p- there are two sides to it is ultimately you, you have to be motivated to go and do it on your own. And, and we know what that's like right now in lockdown. That that you have to be able to get out the door and go and go and bury yourself in a session on your own. Um, I've always been able to do that, but as as I've kind of developed over the last few years, obviously that that um, improvement curve is is um, is flattening out, and you know to find those incremental improvements has been difficult. So absolutely joining Chilton runners was you know unlocked. That access to other competitive club runners, and particularly, I think one of the key things I signed up for was the cross country league, uh, and having having those guys and girls around me and to train with um, has lifted me, and and more so in the last couple of years. A particular guy, Matt Shaw, who um, has been running for for twenty plus years, I think. Um, very competitive he's, he's run you know with national vests uh in each age group and um and he you know in the last couple of years he's been he's been the guy who's or you know he's run most of my sessions and we you know we we most do most of our sessions on grass so you're not you're not strictly measuring uh a distance it's just about getting out there and, and getting it done um but yeah have, having people around you like-minded who are who are prepared to push themselves and bring you along um has, has massively helped me
0: and it's such a challenging time because on one hand if you've got people that push you forward you know it can really build that sort of competitive side and you don't want to let your teammates down but then when you're running by yourself when you look back in your training diary you think well remember when I did this run by myself it's tempo run so those are the kind of things you bank yeah. so I think there's sort of pros and cons to both but still i mean even this time we're facing now with the coronavirus it's a challenging time because we're due to physical distancing we can't meet and run together and how are you sort of finding that yeah. at the moment
1: yeah I, I you've just touched on something that really um resonates which is that team aspect and um the backbone of winter training is turning up at these cross-country league matches and you put yourself on the line and it's not just about you you're you're representing the team. And, and that really drives you. It certainly drives me. Um, how am I coping now? Um, you know, As I say, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of comfortable in my own company and going and doing a session. But um, one of the innovations has been that the, my clubmates have been setting lockdown challenges. So obviously, we can't run together. But whether it's setting down a, a Strava segment or taking part in the Ross Barkley a uh, 5K challenge, which is a, a tongue-in-cheek challenge to go and um, run a, a, a ludic- ludicrously fast 5K time, but then when you strip it back, you realise that that you're you're running reps and you're just stopping your watch and and uh, and resting rather than recalling the rest. Um, so yeah, the, those sorts of things keep it alive for me. Um, having that that sense of of belonging and uh, a bit of competitiveness with with friends um in 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 doing those challenges
0: and putting running to one side for the a moment um back to the coronavirus it's made us all kind of hit that pause button in our life um and once we hit that play button i mean what things have you reflected on um that you'll implement maybe moving forward in your running and your life
1: okay well it is it's i mean it's been it's been quite interesting because I suppose that one of the first things I've said to you about my, about running has been around time. And you know, the moment you take the races out, that motivation's gone. You're, you've got to find something else to hang on to, but I've, I've kind of found this, this period really interesting because it's got me really reflective on not only how lucky I've been, the kind of experiences that have come out of, of events that we'll be talking about, no doubt. Um, but just on on how that's that's changed my life in terms of, you know, friends I I have that I would never have had if I hadn't got into running. Um, what it means to my children um, because I started running when my eldest was four and my youngest was two, and I'm a different person to what I would have been if I didn't if I didn't run, and I wouldn't be the influence on them to get out and be active if it wasn't for, for what I've done in the last five years and none of that was by design um but it's it's really I, I suppose the, the the biggest thing out of this lockdown for me is the thrill of being fit enough to take my kids out on the road on their bikes and and be able to safely marshal them around the road something I don't think I'd be comfortable with if I had to do it on a bike um that I am alongside. I can. Hold on to my daughter's shoulder. I can manhandle the bike if I need to at a T junction. I know I'm in, I can I can keep up with them, and I can I can teach them things that I wouldn't have been able to do, and and that has been really liberating. And it's it's basically the 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 best thing that's happening right now to me is is that thrill of being able to get them out on quieter roads and and teaching them how how to how to own the road on the bike.
0: I think it's great that you can go back to that core enjoyment because at the minute, the challenge is that running and us as runners, we've got, we're goal focused and not having that race can be quite tough, you know, in terms of trying to keep that focus, keep that motivation when we don't know when it'll be safe to run again, when we don't know whether races resume this year or next year, um, but just to keep, just to keep going. Um, and I thought it was quite interesting we sort of talk about going back to just keeping that enjoyment back to, um, you know, running your kids. And that's something you touched upon at the beginning of the conversation about why you started running. So it's good to hear you going back to that, I guess, one of your whys. And I guess, is that one of your whys when you're running marathons? You think about your kids and your family?
1: Always. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, yeah. It, it, it's, it's always about you know when when those miles get tough at the end they're typically at the end of that race to greet me and it's always being able to focus on that and um that that drives me on absolutely
0: and i guess you think about the training sessions that you've done you know the impact that it's had maybe on family life not detrimental but you know if you're doing a long run then that's time away from family so something you think about i imagine the race
1: absolutely that's yeah that's so true because um i read a lot about this other people and, and I, I really identify with it you know you, you are making a sacrifice but you're also making a choice and the the family bear the brunt of those choices which is that you're going off and doing those sessions on a saturday morning you're going off and doing a long run on the sunday morning because that's that's the best way of me fitting it into my working week um is that i do most of those miles out the weekend um, but it's the things that I miss out on and it's the things that leave my wife having to, to pick the pieces up on, um, whether that's kind of running the homework session or or other things. So um, I'm very fortunate. My, my wife is as understanding as she is. Um, but absolutely, when it comes to laying it down, all of that stuff stacks up. And it's not just about building your confidence from saying, I've got this, I can do this based on on how you've performed in those sessions and, and come through tough um Tough situations in those sessions, where it really hurts, but it's also about making sure that counts because ultimately you know my my running journey has taken me to to other places um and they haven't been able to always come on those um for instance, running the Boston Marathon was a huge sacrifice you know it cost a lot of money to go out there and it was in yet another very selfish mission from my point of view that i I kind of forced that forced that agenda to make it happen um so yeah, I have to be careful and, and, and these things have to be looked at in balance, but um, it's ultimately, it's always got to be about the family and, and family have to come first. It's a tough
0: one. I was having a conversation with another runner about this saying, is it selfish to go out and do all these marathons and all this running? And he said something along the lines, I'm paraphrasing, and he's like, well, to give your family the best, you need to be the best version yourself. And that might just be the price. And no one sort of knows what that that balance in act is but i think if you didn't run you know then it'd take away something from you and i think you'd give a little bit less
1: and what's that's, your thoughts on that i so identify with that it's it's so true and it in to someone who doesn't run it probably sounds like a good excuse um but i think that's also the challenge is that unless you're in this unless you kind of understand what these arbitrary time goals mean in terms of your, your own well-being and and better betterment of your um to to better yourself um it's really hard to sometimes explain that and 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 the cost of some of those choices but um absolutely i'm i'm not great if i've intended to get out and do a session on a saturday morning and it can't happen for some reason or another something happens short short notice I'm not going to be in a great mood or I can't, I can't snap out of it. But, you know, if, if I can go and do that, if I can go and get that session done Saturday morning, um, obviously it helps if I, if I meet the goal of that session, but I come back and I'm bouncing and I'm, I'm ready to throw myself into whatever I need to with the kids.
0: I think we're all trying to find our way, aren't we? So, um, it's definitely not a one size fits all, um, answer. Um, I just wanted to sort of share experience that I had with you, um, we talked about the Boston Marathon and the Boston Marathon 2018 was where I earned my um, six star uh, medal. And as you know, the weather was, was terrible. And afterwards I did a short interview with the Abbotts team. And one question that really stuck in the back of my throat was when they asked me, what did I achieve today? Um, and up to that point, I'd been kind of focused on just putting one foot in front of the other and get to the end. And I was like, get to the hotel, get, get dry. And when I got asked that question, um, it basically threw me because it took me back to my, my first marathon, my first run experience, the challenges I experienced up to that point to get to the six star in Boston. And it was quite an emotional time. And every time I see that video, even now, it kind of really triggers something because it takes me back to that point of my life. It's not something that you always think about, but you just think about the, the, the challenges you've overcome and you've experienced. Now, not so much in the same context, because your incident, which we're going to talk about, was viewed by a lot more people. Um, when you look back at your 2017 London finish, which was seen by a huge global audience, um, and you see the footage of yourself with Matt and Keith as you sort of make your way to the finish line, when you look back at that video, what do you sort of think at this sort of current time?
1: There's so much in that, um, because... I lived, obviously, I lived through it. it, you know, images became, you know, those images were circulated and and, and well viewed, um, but I was, obviously, I had a different viewpoint from that. So uh, the other thing about that, Marcus, is that those events, I, I you know, it happened, I lived with them for 24 hours. It wasn't really until the very early hours of the following morning when I was, I had to go and um, face the press for this that my wife turned to me and said you better actually watch this you better at least know what this looked like on tv um so it's probably worth you, you you kind of having that in mind because I can't really separate out my own experience to what that looks like what it looks like to me when I look at it is is kind of reckless what the hell is that guy doing to himself that he's got himself into that mess but I don't need to explain that to myself because I know I know where I was and I know what, what was going through my mind. And there was actually a lot of ignorance in there because I, I had no idea that was going to be captured on camera, let alone, you know, go around the world, um, th- those images. So, um, you know, I was just in a really desperate state and, um, y- you know, what it looks like to me and what I've learned to understand um, is is just that it encapsulates the spirit of one guy who doesn't know another guy stopping and helping him. And, you know, it's it's amazing. It's utterly amazing what Matt Reese did that day. Um, because, you know, you can, you can argue the toss, oh, well, he wasn't necessarily on for personal best, but you don't need to be on the personal best to be hurting at that point in the race and just want to get home. The amount of people who, um, you know, were really encouraging gave us a shout as they went past you know that that's decent that that's a decent thing to do too because you know you're showing your support you're 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 there in that moment burying yourself to get to that finish line the fact that that Matt could stop and pick me up off the floor and have the strength to do that is um, it, you know I think that that's what really captured the imagination that that one guy will will stop and, and help another in that in that occasion so I think it' when you look at it in the context of where we are now um you know i think i feel so so lucky to have been uh caught in a moment that people could connect with and could be represented as as just a a a show of courage and and decent kindness um to 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 a fellow person
0: i think that's great to sort of hear that back because from what you're saying at the beginning you're sort of so close to it you're thinking oh, i can't believe i was so reckless and maybe decisions i took getting to that point of you know hitting the wall but now you can step back and go look it was such a great part of displaying what running community is about
1: yeah i mean it didn't take me long actually to appreciate that but marcus but it was um it was a fact that uh the, the crazy thing is is i came on that bend I was in such a dark place. It's like all the things we've just been talking about—the fact that the fact that you make so many sacrifices, so many choices to be to be there in that race, in that moment—and for it to go so terribly wrong—left um, me in a really desperate state. But when you flip it around and you look at it through that camera lens, and you see something else, and you're caught up in that moment, um, I'm truly thankful. I wouldn't change a thing because um it it had much more impact than than meeting an arbitrary time goal that day
0: and you said family are important and i think before you got to that point you saw your family there and what was that like
1: yeah they yeah well i i know pretty little about that the state i was in this was um this is about 25 and a bit miles it was at the corner with um um The Palace of Westminster, and um, left my so my mum, my wife, my two children were there, and um, you know they were devastated to see me look, you know, look like I did because I, you know, obviously the way I was carrying myself, I wasn't, I wasn't walking, I wasn't doing that crazy fast walk by that point, Um, but I was obviously in a complete mess. So yeah, it, uh, it that that that's tough because I, you know part of the problem was I was in such tunnel vision at that point I could barely barely see or acknowledge them
0: it's quite a tough place because I know you were aiming for sub 240 for that race weren't you yes and so can you just sort of talk us through that race and what happened up to that point
1: I I think it was a perfect storm so let's just start with the fact that it was my second marathon and that, that the first marathon had just gone so well that I was approaching this from I was diligent but ignorant. I I was diligent in in terms of figuring out what I would need to do in sessions and in training and in diet to make sure I was I was going to get I was going to meet this goal. Um, but what I was ignorant about was what happens when things go wrong, so that I could step out of that moment and stop with the mantras, stop with this focus of saying you just need to come through this dark spell because that dark spell just got deeper and deeper. Um, so it was, I suppose, a perfect storm because if, if you look at the data from that race, it, um, as recorded on Strava, it's available on Strava, is that you just see a perfect block of running three to 20 miles. And I was completely on it. You know, I I, I didn't fall off the pace until I was, I was st- starting to struggle uh, at 22, 23. And there was still something in there to fight for. So, you know, the one lesson I've taken from that last, that that first marathon was, it's going to get bad, it's going to get bad at some point, you just got to keep digging through it. And we've talked as well about the family. So yes, I kind of was barely aware by the time we got to mile 25, that they were there. Um, I was still focused on the fact that they would be there at the, at the finish. So, um, you know, there was all sorts of tricks I was playing on myself to to kind of ignore what the body was telling me and because I was still aware of the time I was working towards um I was still on still well on track for a sub uh, 245 which um you know anyone who who's who wants to get in the championship start of the race knows that that's a you know that's a a key milestone to hit Um, so yeah there was everything still to fight for so it was really just a perfect storm that the the rest of the race had gone so well Um, I wasn't injured I had I had some cramp as I was coming down birdcage but I was you know I I I was gonna get this thing done then the final element I haven't haven't mentioned is that the race was happening on on the day of my uncle's birthday and he had died and I was uh died in the, the previous months and um, I was raising money for, for the hospice that had taken care of him as he passed away. And so I was in so deep with that emotionally and, and, and trying to do him proud and, and the family proud, you know, to raise money, but, but also to go out there and, and, um, and achieve what I'd set out to achieve.
0: I'm sorry to hear that. I didn't, I didn't know about your, your uncle passing away. So, um, my condolences for that. Um...
1: Well, let's just look at it technically in a, from a psychological state. It, I didn't know it, but I created this massive hook to, to go and bury myself. And, and that's essentially what happened. It, it was a, a fundamental part of, of what you see in those, those images. Um, you know, as I came in to, to the finish, all I, was, all I was worrying about is just pump your arms. If your arms are moving, you can, your legs will follow and that's i mean it looks ludicrous on camera but i i didn't care i mean all i thought was that you've got some some bystanders on on the course obviously cheering you on but i knew, knew it would look peculiar but that that's all i cared about i'm just going to get this done i get, have to get to that finish line
0: i think that drive is just so uh, apparent and i think what's interesting into hearing your story is that um it sort of shows how even though you can be physically strong for the marathon, it's a, it's a mental toughness because it comes through races and through training. And even though things went really well in the first marathon for Manchester, um, it's, it's interesting to sort of see how those dark thoughts came through um, in the second marathon, just due to the thing you said, like just hitting the wall and that kind of thing. Um, now you've been to that kind of dark place kind of thing mentally, and you've come out of the other side I mean, what did you sort of learn about yourself mentally afterwards following London, uh, 2017?
1: Well, what, what I learned was that, um, no one can, if I ever have to not finish a race, no one should ever need judge me for that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll not finish a race for good reason. So I guess, um, I guess I have that, uh, I have that on my side, um, i suppose i came out of it feeling very selfish that i could put myself to those extremes and be utterly reliant on medical assistance at the end of something that was meant to be fun it was meant to be a meant to be something to take part in just to to celebrate you know celebrate the joy of being in the london marathon because i'm like my god we all know how difficult it can be to get into that race so i was devastated that i was lying in a state for for 60 minutes 90 minutes i think and i couldn't do anything i couldn't lift literally i could not lift a finger um and i felt like i was wasting the time of medical people who could be doing be looking after people who are who are ill because of they couldn't they can't help that so I think I think I got some new perspective really I think the other aspect sorry new perspective on look you you do not need to bury yourself you you know I don't think I'll ever unlock that level again level of performance again because there'll be too many mental blocks to prevent that happening Um, but but I think probably the biggest thing that came out of it was was understanding the running community and how warmly people responded to that. Um, I think in other walks of life, pe- people could could just laugh at how ridiculous that looked, the state I was in before Matt reached me. Um, and there have been some good parodies online um, set to kind of Steptoe and Son and, you know, the music from that that show. And it's all really funny, but, you know, generally people were really positive and warm about what that you know what it took to, to kind of to be in that situation and and the courage shown to, to to kind of to, to pursue that that endeavor. Um, but but I, you know I got nothing but support as well from my club and teammates um, and generally the people you know around, around the area, the running community here. Um, so I've really always appreciated that and and the people who you know who've connected via uh, Instagram and other social media platforms, which again. I, I didn't have those accounts before this happened. I thought maybe I should maybe I should have some some sense of social media presence um, so that I can share the things that I'm getting up to um, off the back of of that uh, of that occasion.
0: It must be such a strange situation because you're going out running just trying to do your best and a lot of people hit the wall in the race but you're not expecting it to be sort of captured. So it must have been such a world when, like you said, you come out and you're thinking, wow, like you can't move and everything is not as it should be. You're thinking about probably, you know, what's happened with your, your uncle, your family, thinking about your kids. Um, like you said, it should have been something fun, but then it turns into something quite serious. So it's quite a tough time. And then you sort of come out of that and then you're sort of, you've got all the press attention. Now, how did you kind of manage all that sort of pressure and sort of k- keep kind of, level if that's possible
1: yeah it it was a funny juxtaposition because i was sat in the medical tent uh, medical tent crying because i thought there's something fundamentally wrong with me i have some kind of heart condition i will never be doing this again as in not that i want to do it again i knew immediately i want to set this right but um i may be told i can't do this because there's something you know medically wrong with me whilst those images were being those images of kindness um, and support by, by Matt, Reese and Keith to get me over the line were being celebrated at that same time. And my, my family were sat, you know, had no information, were waiting to know what had happened. They could see the images too. Um, so how did I cope? I suppose, obviously, it was, you know, I, I needed to get back on my feet, which, which I did within about 90 minutes and and uh, reunited with my family. Um, and then we, we had planned a party to, to get together to celebrate um, my um, my uncle and you know uh, the, the, just just to, to kind of all be together so i grabbed a burger and a beer and that that seemed to set me right and that that's really when the calls started coming through um, my phone had blown blown up by this point um it it it, it was already on the brink but it, it um there's so much inbound um, messages and um, calls coming in that it just kind of turned off and died, um, never to work again. So they managed to get hold of my wife through, the the organisers got hold of my wife through my emergency contact details on the back of my bib. So please, everyone, remember to fill in those details. It's important um, so the the press officer can get hold of you. Um, So uh, uh, how did I deal with that, though? I suppose, Marcus, a lot of it lay in in what I'd already got out of running which was you know just being able to deal with difficult situations at work or, or otherwise I felt far more empowered from running than than not running and and you know my, my performance at work I think has reflected that um, and I think just to have that attention yes it was overwhelming but I just I'd been speaking to a, a friend of mine who's a, a sports psychologist. And he'd been really helpful before that marathon, just talking through you know, certain concepts, certain mantras, and, and what could work for me. And um, and and one of the things he'd referred to me just kind of resonated, which is you can only deal in truth, you can only you can only deal with the facts. So, you know, to, to receive that attention, all I could do is is tell my side of, of what had happened. And that's not so hard, is it? You just you just ex- explain what in, in the in the best words you can, what, what that felt like, and and you know what, it would have been a hell of a lot harder if I was on my own doing that. But um, Matt Reese and I got thrust together, and you know, our friendship was formed obviously by meeting on the the course, but it got it got formed from from spending the day the next day together, going through a uh, surreal experience together. But being alongside each other, saying pretty much the same thing to every news outlet, but with a twist and you know you always knew that um, if you're struggling for words, the other one can jump in. And so we were in it together, and that, that's kind of that's kind of the strength of our friendship is that we, we, we met under those circumstances, and we went through that together and came through it reasonably well, I would say.
0: And it's good that you've sort of developed that friendship with Matt as well. He's a top guy. Um, so uh, I think, yeah, having someone else to do that with definitely makes it a lot easier. Um, I don't want to focus too much on that, on that race, but I kind of want to move forward into your next race, the next marathon, uh, which was Amsterdam, I believe.
1: Yes. Yeah. The comeback. How, so <laughs> how did you, how
0: did you sort of take off like the demons from London to sort of jump into that?
1: that's got to be that's got to be up there as one of my biggest achievements was to 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 shake down and go right let's go again um so it it wasn't necessarily through choice to go and run a second marathon that year uh but the opportunity came around and um we were both asked both Matt Reese and I were asked to go out there which was a huge privilege to to, to have that offer and um, it seemed like too, too good a, an adventure to pass up on. So um, I just went and complete a bit like that first marathon where I just absolutely made sure of the goal. Um, I was just so mat- motivated to go and make this happen. Um, so I was I was running ludicrous miles through that summer. Uh, we went on holiday. Again with that same group of friends who had inspired me in the very first place and um you know, I was I was putting those miles in in the uh in the Spanish hills. Um and uh yeah, so it really stands out for me that I think my first hundred mile week was in the blazing heat of the, the Spanish sun in the summer. It was probably pretty stupid, but you know, it, it it's kind of the backbone of, of of my determination to to make sure I could I could stand up strong in, in Amsterdam. So yeah, that race went really well. And I achieved the goal I, I'd been aiming for in London. So I ran that in 2.38. And again, for anyone who's who's interested and hasn't been, I mean, that experience, Amsterdam is a beautiful city. But the race is fantastic. It's fast. Uh, it's got an amazing finish in the, the uh, Olympic Stadium. Um, i've come away and i've i've kind of vowed never to go back and do it for the simple reason it was such an amazing experience and i achieved what i wanted to i'd fear that if i went there and tried again and it didn't go well that it would it would blemish that experience so um but you know i probably won't run the amsterdam marathon again but i'll always take up an opportunity to go and visit the city because it's beautiful
0: it seems like a Rocky movie almost when you sort of said you went to the <laughs> Spanish hills. You know, I can imagine the 100 mile week. I can imagine just thinking like, I'm going to finish a race unaided now. So going to... There's going to be no one helping me across. <laughs> I mean, what were you thinking during those sort of, those sort of training weeks initially?
1: Uh, just, just focus on the goal. Um, I've said it before, I'm afraid I'm just so inspired by, by the time goals. So I just wanted to go and I just want to make it happen um so and I don't know where it comes from I don't know why I, I would do that and be so antisocial on my holiday but there you go um it, it kind of I, I think I I you know when we talk about the attention out of London Marathon is that yeah I can look back now and and recognize that it it's amazing to be part of that you know and that I had a part to play but my part looked like a pretty weak part, you know, I was the full guy who needed, needed all that help. And it's true. I, I mean, I couldn't have done it without the help, but you know, I, I guess there's probably a little bit of self-esteem that, that needed to be uh, um, reclaimed there that, you know, I can stand strong. I can finish this on my own.
0: Basically like the, the feeling that you wanted to put it right. Yeah. Kind of from, okay. And did you feel like, did you feel that, sort of sense of achievement once you crossed the line or did it
1: Yeah. I mean was... I can't okay. actually I I was a little bit shocked but it was it was getting to the twenty third mile. I've never felt so exhilarated, so alive in my life to think, wow, I've got this. I am in, I'm in complete control here. This is happening. Um that was thrilling. That that was the the best couple of miles of my life I think I was running the twenty third, twenty fourth mile. You know coming past that point that I'd I'd I was falling away in London um, completely on top of where I was. I was in I was in pain. I was wearing the, the shoes I, I was wearing were too light. Uh, they weren't giving me enough cushioning, so I'd absolutely hammered my Achilles, but um, I knew I had it and I saw my mum and dad, my mum and dad had flown out as well, which was amazing for, to have their support. and they saw me probably uh, within a mile of reaching the stadium again on this really quiet street just screaming their their guts out and and you know to have have that was and for them to see that firsthand was was pretty amazing too
0: i can imagine like before the race you must have spoke to matt and said look we we can't be seen together (laughs) let me (laughs) run you you run your race (laughs) No, yeah,
1: yeah, I've I've always said to Matt as well. Poor, poor bloke, you know, he always he must be so inspired to stay in front of me because you know if, if he ever gets behind me and then encounters yet another car crash, you know, I'd I I'd absolutely wave him on. Yeah.
0: Oh my gosh. Uh, but going back to what you said about seeing your family, I think it's such an important thing. Um, it really does lift you. And um, something they do in the TCS New York City Marathon is they well before the COVID situation when you get to Central Park and it recognises your bib and you're on like a big screen, people could send you messages. Um, and even though they weren't there, it was it's It really does like pick you up. Do you find that in terms of sort of seeing your family and that? I think
1: well, I yeah. I, I mean, seeing my family always yeah massively picks yeah. me up. As long as I'm as I'm as long as I'm not in that tunnel of doom that I was in London. <laughs> um, I've ne- I've yeah. never had that again where where I couldn't even recognise people. Um, but um, you say that about New York, I didn't know they did that and I've run it. So um missed an opportunity there. But uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's it's fair to say when when my family are there, I'm 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 going to pull out all the stops. And it's it's so thrilling then to be able to see them at the end and celebrate.
0: Yeah, you ran New York last year with me, so um, we're going to get on to that because. I think the time you ran it in, I could un- I could probably understand why you didn't see that a bit because you were so focused on running <laughs> such a good time. <laughs> but before we get to uh, um New York, I wanna move on to Boston. Uh Boston twenty nineteen. Now yes. everything has gone really well from sort of Amsterdam, you're putting in the miles and training. Can you sort of take us back to that race and what happened for you?
1: Yeah. Well, so after Amsterdam, of course, we there was a return to London. So it was good. It was good to get back to London at 20, 20, 2018. Uh, it was scorching hot, um, and it was a real suffer fest. But even more so, that was that was quite an important race just to make sure I could finish. That's the only marathon I've ever run, where it is just about show up at the finish and show up on your own. That that was all I was focused on. Uh, but my God, even that was hard. Um, so um, and, and, and again, that was a thrilling experience. But then, um, what happened then in last year, so 2019 for Boston, is that I would I would have loved to have gone back and done London Marathon again, but it was on my wife's birthday, so we decided no, I'm not going to rate I'm not going to have the whole weekend. Uh, actually, it's my wife who said this, so I can pretend I said this. Um, but um, we're not going to we're going to not going to make my my wife's 40th birthday all about um, me running on the marathon. Um, so we, we, we sacked that off, and um, I managed to get permission to, to uh, take up an opportunity to, to run Boston. Um, so I went out on my own. My brother came out as well, which was fantastic to have his. My eldest brother came out, so uh, it was fantastic to have him there. Um, and I had trained brilliantly. I was in absolutely prime shape but I went out there and the the three nights before the race, I didn't sleep. I don't know what happened. I just couldn't sleep. And come race day, I turned up and still still attempted plan A stupidly. I tried to put everything out, say, no, the training's there. Don't worry about it. Um, and it, it was the greatest sufferfest um of my life to drag myself from from kind of faltering i mean after mile nine i knew it wasn't happening um it was like a death march from mile nine i thought let's just try and get to to halfway um try and inject a little bit i think it's mile 16 that has a bit of a downhill right let's try and get the legs turning over and then we'll hit those (laughs) newton hills and um my god that I mean, it was an amazing experience, but a horrific experience. I don't know if that can make any sense, probably to you, Marcus, because you've done it. Um, it was, you know, the whole event of Boston is like nothing else. Um, it's, it, you know, the whole city is alive and supportive of the runners. I guess probably because to enter it is an achievement in itself. To, you know, it's all based on hitting your age grade um qualifying time so if you're you know if you're in the city and you're 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 blatantly seen as a runner because you're always in running clothes and stuff you know the, the locals are really supportive and congratulating you before you've even run it um which is which is quite different from the experience in london i suppose um so I'm getting sorry I'm going off on tangents here Marcus ultimately the 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 race became one of survival and let's just try and let's just get this done I am not I'm not leaving this city I haven't spent all this money to leave without finishing the race um so somehow I got myself there um but it was it was a a, you know I, I, I ran through halfway in 77 and a half minutes um ended up running 252 so um it would, you know, the, the blur on the second half was the blur of people passing me. <laughs> it was just, I don't know how many places I lost that second half. It was, uh, it was a demoralizing experience.
0: So what was that like mentally when you got to mile nine? Did you think I just can't give any more or what, what, what was the sort of thought process? Sort of...
1: I think it was, I think it was all, all with, you know, my, my breathing, my heart rate, my, um, my ears, um you know I had kind of uh kind of had like um I can't can't think of the right expression the medical expression for this but basically um I couldn't hear anything I was completely locked in my inside my head my my ears weren't functioning you know like um help me out Marcus Do you know what you're I mean? sort of in his zone, sort uh, of thing um, yeah he's kind of locked in, in no air air bubbles you know physically there was oh um, physically okay um uh, the pressure sorry the pressure in my okay pressure in my ears meant that all i could hear was my internal breathing i couldn't my okay i couldn't hear the sounds around me um just look there's something was not right that day yet and i hadn't slept um The conditions were horrible as we as we kind of boarded the buses in Boston Common it was like a a biblical um, rainstorm so just drenched I had spare shoes um, but um, even though I had spare socks as well everything just got drenched and so I was kind of I started the race in in I mean I'm making excuses the point is it wasn't my day but I still went and tried to execute plan a Um, I rolled down those hills and and thought I'd, I'd I'd see how I'd roll the dice and see how it, how it went and it, it and it went badly, so how did it feel I mean from that point Marcus from mile nine it just it was just a fight basically, and once I got to sixteen those hills bit badly and um it was just it was just a constant struggle but I suppose I'd already learned so much it was my fourth fifth marathon? hang on uh it was my fourth marathon um so I'd already learned a lot and obviously I'd gone through a lot at London 2017. I'd gone through a lot at London 2018 in the heat, you know, so you just kind of have to battle on, or well, that's what I said. Did you have sort of,
0: myself. sorry to interrupt, did you have any sort of residual thoughts about London 2017 at mile nine of Boston? Were you thinking?
1: No, no. Cause it was such a different race. You know, I wasn't yep. by that point, you know, I would I was in, um, uh, I, I just wasn't going to be able to run effectively for the last um the last uh 15 miles you know it things it was just a gradual slowdown from from the halfway point um so yeah it, it totally different psycho um physiologically i was i was just kind of putting one foot in front of the other as it were rather than london where i i ran spectacularly for For 20 miles and the wheels gradually came off there while i was still fighting for for time goal so what i was fighting for in boston i was still what what really drove me was i really want to run a sub three still i've got to make that happen that's that that's got me um this will sound really silly but i didn't have my family with me but um the race is run from west to east so you're running towards the coast and I kind of just focus on I am running towards my family and I know that sounds really corny um but I was obviously missing them they they didn't come with me because obviously that would have been really expensive um my brother was there for support but ultimate and you know and I can't say how thankful I was that he was there um to see me at halfway and then then help me you know be be there at the very end but still in my mind is my, my young family and, you know, just heading for home basically. And that, that got me through.
0: I really like that. To be honest. It's so interesting to sort of hear how runners think during races. Um, I think it's really powerful. So thank you for sort of sharing that because I think family is such an important thing and I think sometimes people can over it in terms of what you're thinking about, but like you said, sometimes it could be simple as like putting one foot in front of the other, or it could be like, I'm getting one step closer to my family. Do you know what I mean? Those sort of things that help keep yes. you locked in in the moment.
1: Yes. Um, I, look, and the other thing about that Boston weekend, in a way, I wouldn't change it. We had an amazing time. I, you know, my brother coming out, he's a hes a sports broadcaster. And, he, you know, we, we all love our sport but in the family. But um, I wouldn't have gone and done all the things if, if Steve hadn't come out with me. But equally, I wouldn't change it because we had a great experience. It was a really good time spending time with him. We went to the ice hockey, the the, the baseball, you know, we, we just we covered bases I wouldn't have done. If I'd gone on my own, I'd have just I would have just been relaxing. But I maybe still wouldn't have slept and I would have I wouldn't have had the thrill of doing some of those other things as well. So not all was lost. And I came away with that amazing medal and I still got a sub three marathon which, you know, is an amazing achievement. So I I mean I, I think I wrote at the time that despite everything i'd gone through you know the 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 experience at london um you know hitting that time goal in in amsterdam going sub 240. the boston race immediately after i was heartbroken but i felt it was like one of my my proudest achievements in running was just to dig in and make it happen and get there um so you know these experiences are sent to test you and it's how you react i suppose from them
0: I think, yeah, those are the sort of experiences that you can share with your kids as well. When they're asking you, Dad, like, how do you get through this sort of situation? You can be like, look, put the work in, but, you know, things aren't always guaranteed. Some like, some things aren't always in your control, but you just focus on what you can control. So I guess that's good, especially with you and your kids as well.
1: Yeah, there's a great saying. I think it's John Brown said this, and he may have, someone else may have said it, but um, the marathon owes you nothing. Um, I like that you can do all the training, you can, you know, you can, you can do the work, you can figure out what that training tells you in terms of what your your goals are. Um, But at the end of the day, when you line up, you have no idea how the day is going to play out. And it certainly doesn't owe you anything just because you've just because you've done the training. Um, and that that always sticks with me because it's and and I think that's also what fascinates me about the marathon is it can go any which way and you just have to be able to roll with it Um, some some are going to feel easier than others um, and um, and some are going to be desperately disappointing and you've got to you've got to be able to embrace the journey you know if you can't enjoy the training block and you know bear in mind that is three months plus of training and obviously it's not just about three months it's about you know that overall continuity of many years of running that that allows you to show up and and do your best on the day um but you have to be able to ex- ex- suck it up when it doesn't go to plan and just say well I got so much out of that training block anyway and I enjoyed I enjoyed the thrill and enjoyed the adventure
0: I I, I know what you mean I think I think some people probably do struggle with it because they sort of feel they're training so they're going to like I deserve to get this time but like you said, like if you go into it with that sort of fixed mindset, when you get tested, it's, it's easy to break. Um, and I think that's almost like the fun thing. I think once you get into it more, that's what you enjoy more because you know it's going to be difficult. You don't know when it's going to come, but you know at some point you're going to be tested and you're going to have to sort of get through it. And you might not have the, the flashy answer. It just might be just putting one foot in front of the other. But I think that's the the great thing about running and I think sometimes that's what get lost, gets lost really and why we do it. Absolutely. We've spoken about obviously London 2017 and then Boston, what happened there. Um, and then you went on to run New York, um, the same year. Um, can you sort of tell us about what sort of changes that you made following Boston, uh, leading into the training for New York?
1: I think how I approached New York was that I had learned from Boston. And I also learned that, you know, again, that the the New York experience was going to be a shared adventure with my wife. So just the two of us would get away and we we managed to to get out uh, or plan it that we went out earlier than I went to Boston. I was worried about that whole um, jet lag issue that I'd, I'd suffered with for Boston. Um, and I think what, what, I, what I took into that, obviously, was I'm going to do the training, um, but I'm going to enjoy this experience. I'm not going to be so focused on, on one, um, one objective around time. Um, I also knew that New York is a far tougher course than anything else. Um, I think I, was, I deluded myself into to thinking that, that Boston, because it's downhill, Um, it's net downhill that that, you know, it's going to that's going to pay dividends and it doesn't. It's so testing. But, you know, I think I had a newfound respect for hilly courses. uh, When I approached New York, Um, I was I was in really good shape. And maybe, you know what, maybe I'd held back a little bit and I hadn't buried myself in all the extra miles. So, you know, I think I've just made sure I built in loads of rest. I was I was not sacrificing sleep for getting in another recovery run. Um, so, you know, I was less focused on, on that overall mileage and I was looking at New York as being a springboard then for the spring. Let's run a really, let's, let's, let's build up my confidence again after Boston. Let's just, let's just go and really enjoy New York, run a respectable time. And then let's go and hit the winter and, and, and look to finally achieve my goal at London Marathon and, and, you know, third time lucky, um, put everything down that day so though th- that's kind of how I was thinking as I went into it, then when we were in New York, I really focused on making sure that that you know I got to to bed at a sensible time and i didn't overstress it um that that i and we had a i mean we had quite a good hotel room compared to boston we you know in Boston, it was so hard i was scraping around at the last minute to get accommodation ended up on a junction with really bad soundproofing so you know constantly woken up through the night um it, the, the rare bit of sleep I did get whereas New York you know it was it was a much better environment to, to, to get that rest and 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 focus on being ready for the race so we still did all the sightseeing and everything like that um but I I think I was ready to enjoy New York and I was I mean it's a thrilling place to be i i you know it's it's got to have been it's got to be the highlight of all of my um uh touristy type ventures because even london as someone living in manchester you know going to london is a bit of a, a tourism trip um so you know out of everything it was oh, it's just such an amazing place to be um and to have that privilege to run on on the on the streets the five boroughs of new york is incredible um and it was my day you know it is a bit like that day in amsterdam you know it just things clicked and and it and I felt great everything worked I saw my wife you know to to give me a bottle of um, uh, you know carb carb loaded drink at the right point you know as much as I know it's it slows me down to kind of get as much of that down I knew how important it was at mile 19 to really take on as much as I could and um, and it I just I nailed it I just nailed it and the hills didn't affect me um which just goes to show when it's your day it's your day and you know you kind of overcome these things and you know just breaking the race down i i mean i could go on and on really i i i could probably prepare some more notes around how how new york played out mile by mile but um i'm sure you and others will identify with it when it's just going your way you just embrace it and go for it um and what better place to do it is it's just an amazing an amazing event in an amazing city um, and i never expected i'd be uh, you know I, I would run a pb on on the toughest course of the majors
0: yeah i was going to say that mate because you ran two thirty seven twenty nine, which basically average minute per mile is like 601 which is outrageously quick i think then you finish like 148 out of like 53,000 plus people. So, and like you say, New York isn't an easy course because, like, the first uh, mile you go up, then the second mile go down, and it's just sort of undulating throughout. And even you know, the last 10k, even before that, it's still kind of quite challenging because you've sort of done the hill. So, I think to run that time there is just incredible.
1: I use um. Technically, I use a heart rate monitor on my chest every time I lace up and get out the door, so I have a lot of data to rely on to figure some of this stuff out so not knowing what I was facing with new York um, and a big lesson from from Boston was if if other things if there are going to be other factors that, that that affect how my body responds on the day, I can rely on heart rate so my watch basically was set to heart rate I had um so I knew where I needed to be approximately, and the moment that dial was going up, I, I would accept that I have to dial it down, however I'm feeling, um, I, would, I would put as much trust in, the, in that, that reading as much as how I feel. Um, and I, I only expected to use it for the first half, but I ended up using it pretty much all the way through the race.
0: All right. For those people that probably don't understand or follow what you mean, can you just explain what running by heart rate is and how you run, man- you manage that through the marathon?
1: Okay. So, um, through doing certain sessions at certain speeds and, um, monitoring how your heart rate reads over, bear in mind that was my, I think my fifth marathon, fifth or sixth marathon. I'm really losing track. Sorry. Um, I'd kind of built up enough to understand how I respond on the day um so you you operate in certain heart rate zones so for your recovery runs there is a a certain threshold of of heart rate you should operate in and um, for your easy or steady running there's the next zone then when you're running kind of around marathon pace your tempo pace that's that's the, the next threshold and then you're into what's known as lactate threshold and then then you're getting into anaerobic beyond then there so you can uh, you know you're basically figuring out where how can i run for 26.2 miles what's the average heart rate i need to be running um of my maximum heart rate i'm sorry if i haven't explained that very well marcus you might want to uh, top that explanation up
0: uh no that's interesting to explain i think that's fine i think yeah I, i'm sort of saying i have a, a heart rate that target that I run in, um, say, for my training, for sure, for easy runs and things like that. So you kind of know you're not over-exerting yourself. Um, and then, like you're saying, if you work within a certain range, then you know you're not pushing too hard, where you're going to blow up, especially for the races, is basically what you're saying. So you've basically, you know where that sweet spot is, where you run it optimally, yeah. but not too slow, but not too fast. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's I, I wish I didn't. It.
1: Yeah, I wish yeah. I didn't have to do it. I wish I didn't have to do it, but it was it was a safety net for me that I um, I think with my inexperience of only running for for five years um, I kind of rely on some of these these te- technological advances that you know I I don't always trust myself on feel um, and uh, so for, for at least for New York after Boston I was really it was really important I I kind of use that um, but what was interesting actually is then towards the end of the race I never expected to use it in this way but as I was starting to my you know as that heart rate needle was going down I was realizing no you can give more you know so I was actually using it it was starting to dip it was going lower than I needed it to so it encouraged me to go no put yourself on the line and um and I I think that was a really interesting outcome in in real time from the race that, that that helped me. I think
0: that's a really interesting point you've covered, what I was going to ask you. I think, you know, how do you sort of go from managing how to run by feel, which you've probably done in previous marathons, to getting a little bit more technical about it and judging it between the the data? Because sometimes the data can take away from the race experience, but it seems like you got a a good balance between the two, between feel and running in your optimum heart rate.
1: Yeah, I love the data. <laughs> yeah, I've always kind of used it. Um, I think just that whole um, fitness curve that I've been on as well, I've kind of embraced the data and, and tried to take as much from that as I can. Um, I self-coach as well. So I don't, you know, I'm not, uh, I, I have um, club mates around me who who help me. And um, particularly my uh, one of my key training partners, Matt, Matt Shaw, is always there to, to, to talk some just general good sense around running. Uh, but I really do lap up the, uh, the technical information and the, and the data to help me improve.
0: I think that's important to have. So once you've got the technical side sort of down, you've got the training side down, I just want to talk about the stuff that can't be measured like the mental toughness and for you, how do you think that was developed in your marathon journey? Do you think it comes with training or is it something you've done separately?
1: I really don't know the answer to that. Um I think I, I think it is all about consistency and it's all about the investment. Um so I'm driven by that arbitrary time goal and I know from the outside it's just ridiculous. Why why does it matter if I go and run another marathon and and, and that I would wanna run it in two thirty six or better? What does that matter? I've already had amazing experiences, but for, for whatever reason, that's what drives me on. Um, so that comes first and and, it's, and by trade, I'm a project manager. So, you know, everything else slots in. Well, what's the plan? How are we going to make this happen? And it's then going on that journey. And it's by going on that journey, going on that training journey and making that investment that it's then the race has to pay that back. There's nowhere to hide. You've got to, You've got to turn up on the day and make it happen. Um, the interesting thing for me is and my motivations with running is that it always comes back to the marathon. Um, I, you know, I, I have to mix things up and, and I, I'll, I'll do shorter races, um, but that's all a means to an end. You know, an improved 5k time, an improved 10k time is fantastic in itself, but it's how that equates to, it's telling me I'm heading in the right direction and it's, it's perhaps indicating the level of fitness I'm at, if I can run a 10k at this, this speed, then what does that equate to in marathon?
0: Okay. And I'm just sort of thinking with the current situation that we find ourselves in that we can't race, we could do virtual races, but obviously the results don't count officially. Um, now you're quite focused, which is a good thing to keep you, you I mean, going for your goals, but at the minute where we can't, you know, put that, that, that training into a race. How do you keep running fun? I mean, how are you holding it? How are you going for your goals, but still holding it lightly? Okay. And how are you sort of managing that sort of juxtaposition in your mind?
1: It took me a while to get over it. I think, um, and I and there are way more important things right now than running. Um, so just keep, keeping in good health and keeping safe, keeping our distance—all of those things are, are more important than anything else. Um, but um once the initial shock of all the cancellations so for instance just to put it into context there was um i was after the london marathon cancelled i i was admittedly a bit down in the dumps thinking oh right i've gone through this block of training um and there's nothing now to strike for um but i'd entered wilmslow half marathon and that was going to go ahead and i thought great I'm just going to go. I'm going to go for that this weekend. I b- backed off the miles. I'm going to lay everything down this Sunday. So, come the day of the race, um, everything was set. Everything was ready. Uh, the alarm went off whatever time, half six maybe on a Sunday, um, to be greeted by news that the race was cancelled at two a.m. that morning. Oh. Um, and that was a real sucker punch. I mean, I understand all the reasons they did it, and now in hindsight. Totally understandable that that um, their hand was kind of forced. There weren't that the, the rules hadn't come in around lockdown, but it was the sentiment of the local community, I think, um, that had driven that decision. And as I say, we now understand why. But just just indulge my selfishness for a moment. Um, so that really that really set me back, and I didn't really know what I'd be doing. So where we are now, I suppose I kind of I've come through that and. Um, I've, I've found the thrill of taking my kids out and getting them active, um, so that the two kids come out on the on the quiet roads on bikes and I run alongside them. It does mean that it's really ineffective for me because it's I'm not working in, in the, the typical pace zones I should be to, to form a, an effective week of training, but to be honest, I don't care. I just love spending time with them out there and that they enjoy that. Um, but the, the other side of it is just having some fun. and. That's what's been being, being achieved by either having the Strava segments to go for um, the virtual miles or the um, virtual five Ks or whatever it might be. Taking part in that sense of community is still a possible on your own, um, and to be accountable by you know sharing that on on Strava or or other platforms where you know you show up and, and do your best and um, take part in the game. Um, so. That's it, really. Um, I, I, think, I think turning up and doing those things just helps push it beyond a normal training session. Because when the, the going gets really tough, and we had a, um, the, the first uh, Chawton runners challenge, lockdown challenge, was um, like a, a 3.8 mile loop, which is kind of a peculiar distance. But it was two laps of, of, uh, of a particular block locally in Chawton. And oh, my goodness, that third mile was a killer and I you know if it was a training session and I I wasn't accountable to others who would who would see the results I'd just stop okay that's enough of that segment but um it was it's that willing you on to finish the uh, the finish, finish the challenge you know and that that for me is what will drive me on I'm, I can't wait to see what the next challenge is and I'll show up and give it a go
0: i think it's good to have those challenges and like you said just keep it fun at the same time but Absolutely. in a weird way when i think about What's happened, and as a runner, you sort of start off thinking, "I put all this training in," so you like you're gutted by not racing. And I'm in my last uh, interview, we spoke to um, the event director of London Marathon events, and I went into it as a runner, thinking, "Give me some answers and tell me what's going to happen." But then when you hear the answers back, it's just bigger than running. This is this is about society. It's bigger than sport. You know, you kind of yeah. sit back and think, "I can't be just harping on about my medal because it doesn't really matter." Yeah.
1: It really doesn't matter, does it? Right now, and and I'm sorry if, if it, again my answer sounded self-indulgent, but you know there is we're surrounded by news about what we're facing, and we've all got to cope it cope with it and adjust in our own ways. Um, and the sacrifices being made by key workers is is astonishing. I'm I'm in a I'm in a in a bubble. Um, I totally recognise that. Um, my I and my family are very lucky um, that that my job is unaffected my wife's job is unaffected we're homeschooling our kids we're just getting by but you know but we're allowed to go and exercise and i'll keep keep getting out there and doing it um and it's it's just accepting you know the place we're in and 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 you know trying to find some release and enjoyment in that right now it
0: goes back to what you said before about running, you know, we're not owed anything. And if we think about this current time we find ourselves in, that's the uncertainty. So you sort of think, well, as runners, we've been like perfectly trained for this moment. (laughs) So we should be doing in theory better, but you know, uncertainty for humans is quite a a difficult thing to, to manage. So I think as long as we try and keep it fun and sort of focus what we can. Yeah.
1: You've got to find you've got to find something in it that that, that entertains you um, there are you know there are so many tricks you can play on yourself whether it's it's getting out when your legs are tired and doing an easy run um, you know playing a game with you know how slow you can run or how you know you know how, how quick you can um, turn your legs over even though you're going at a slow pace silly things like that or, or keeping your heart rate low if you if you use those metrics um, it's got to be fun, but at the end of the day, the byproduct is, is great for our well-being. Um, I, I always work better um, if I've been out in that morning and, and got out, got some fresh air, got got a run done. Um, it helps me through the day. And, and I'm sure that's helping a lot of people to, to, to make use of the, the opportunity to get out and exercise. I think we would really be struggling. We would all collectively be struggling if we were we were locked down to the point where we, we couldn't go out and, and exercise.
0: Yeah, you're right. I think we can go out. So you sort of focus on what we we can control. And, you know, and that is that is a good thing. But I just wanted to sort of focus on one thing before we wrap up to the final questions. We've gone through the, sort of the niceties about, you know, the joy running, you know, being with kids and stuff like that. But I can imagine there's a part of you that's thinking, I'm hoping that my competitors are like taking their time. taking the time off they're having some sort of crisis they sit on the couch eating drinking (laughs) and while you're training is there a part of you that's thinking i'm hoping that's happening so when the races do resume that you (laughs) will you know you step up and get the jump on them
1: genuinely not because i'm in the camp of having completely backed off and i'm i'm drinking more beer and uh, (laughs) eating more cake certainly eating more more chocolate um no i we'll come out of this, how we come out of it. I, I to be honest, I haven't given that a second thought. Um, I, I don't know when we'll be back. Um, I imagine we'll be back with shorter races first. I imagine it might be the cross country season. And if it is, then that's going to be, you know, that, that might be a great occasion just to, to kind of show up and, and, and run as a team, but I don't even think that's going to happen. So I think it's just keep it, just keeping things ticking over is probably the most sensible thing right now.
0: Yeah, not overexert yourself. No, I completely agree. So let's move to the final questions. Um, firstly, what is the biggest lesson that running has taught you?
1: Just about myself um, and who I am. I mean, I'm. It's. I've always been the same person, but I think it's, it's, it's changed my outlook. It's changed my aptitude to overcome. Challenges, um, so I think that's that's the way it's changed me the most, and I just feel more in control of of what I need to do, both in running but in life.
0: It's almost like brought you a greater awareness, more of a connection to yourself, essentially.
1: Yeah, yeah, and also the the the, the positivity positivity of the community, completely unaware of of what a supportive bunch. Um, runners can be to one another um, so I, I've, I've kind of learned to embrace that as well I'm not I'm not particularly outgoing on, on social media and so on but you know it's something I'm working on um, to kind of connect in those ways and and follow other people's journeys.
0: What is one non-negotiable behavior that you do daily?
1: I would probably say run when you when you don't want to um, I, I mean this is a running podcast I, I don't always want to get out there and it's 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 making it happen because I feel feel good for it being done. Um, I think I think something is about being you know one non-negotiable behavior is to be present as well, um, and being present with the kids, being present with my wife. It's something I'm always working on because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of stress in life. There's a lot of stress in work, and it's just making sure you're there in the moment, um, and that's something I'm working on.
0: Perfect. Thank you for sharing those insights and I think the first part of that reminded me a bit of David Goggins saying that he's like just doing stuff that you don't want to do daily helps build you into the person that you want to be Um, and and I think like you're saying putting running to one side when it all comes down to it, health family, you know you can really sort of count a couple of things in your hands that really matter and although we're all busy you know we've got to make time for those that are close to us So I think beautifully said.
1: Absolutely. I'm not always very eloquent. And you've just, thank you for for saving me there. Because you really, I really believe in what you've just said. You know, that's exactly how I feel.
0: David, it's been great talking to you. Um, Where can people find you online Um, and follow your journey? Good question.
1: Yeah. Um, I am most active on Strava. I think I find that the the place where I'm most honest and I, I share every, every workout every every time I, I lace up it's on there and i'll try and i'll try and comment and explain what i'm doing um so you'll find me as david wyeth on strava um you'll i'm also trying to use instagram as much as i can and i think my handle there is david underscore wyeth w y e t h um yeah, so do do check in and um and i'd i'd love to connect with your listeners
0: David it's been great talking to you thank you for sharing your experience and it's been fascinating just to sort of see your running journey the lessons that you learn and just the the places that you continue to go to so uh thank you for sharing
1: thanks Marcus really nice to catch up with you
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of A Runner's Life. If you found value in this episode and want to support the show, please share with your community, post on your social media channels and encourage them to listen and subscribe. If you want to support my work directly, you can become a member on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash life If you want to get in touch with me or see what I'm up to, you can follow me on my Instagram page at TheMarathonMarcus Your time is valuable, so thank you for spending your time listening to this episode of a Runner's Life podcast.